Yeah, this is part three of my podcast with Evelyn Taylor. She's very knowledgeable about Old Camarillo State Hospital, and uh, give her a listen. Stay tuned for Tuesday, November 5th, for part one of my podcast with George Miller, publisher of Citizen's Journal. I'm working on another collection, and the collection I'm working on now is the Jane Tolmack collection, and Jane was uh, our first woman mayor here um, in, uh, in Oxnard. Okay. And from the 60s and 70s, and she, uh, and well, she was very active in the 80s up until 2000s. And extraordinary woman. So she was actually on uh, an advisory board for Camarillo State Hospital. So I happen to have some information on this. And lo and behold, I find a letter from um, Petrus, who was uh, Assemblyman Petrus, who, again, was a part of, you know, the Lanterman Petrus Short Act, who is responding to someone who is outraged that the hospital is closing. And in the letter, he basically says, I totally understand your anger, Mm -hmm. and I totally agree with you that the administration used our act as a means of closing down the hospital. It was not supposed to close down Camarillo State Hospital. Now, I'm paraphrasing that a bit, but that's basically what it was, right? And I'm thinking... Oh my gosh, right? Because while we were doing the book, we would find these articles of, of doctors warning, saying this, you, you can't just evaluate somebody in 24 or 48 or 72 hours. Like if there's an issue, we have to have a little bit more time here, yeah. right? You, you know, uh, because what was happening was that even back then that, that the um, patients were not going to the hospital, they were going into the jails which is similar to what's happening now. So that created a whole other uh, effect, which continues on today, right? This, this, all this was starting 30 years, started in the 70s. And you had instances where patients would be, okay, we have a place for them outside in the community. And then we would, that's all lovely. And then we would read an article that says, okay, that person, you know, just went and killed, you know, a couple of people. Um, because they shouldn't have been out there in the community, yeah. you know, and it wasn't the hospital's fault. The hospital was really being forced to do this sort of thing. And so the staff here, I think, and this is on my opinion, were like, okay, we've got to get these people ready and we're going to do the best that we can. And, and so they really, when they realized that some of their patients, for instance, children we're going to be transferred over to, say, Metropolitan in Los Angeles, which was in a drug-infested area, and these were children who were, you know, uh, addicted babies. You know, they were very worried about them. Um, I've met with, with, you know, nurses who had said to me, you know, um, we, we worried about them many, many nights about those kids being over in that area. Um, you know... People blame Reagan for the closure of the hospital, uh, both at governor at you know and as president. But it was a set of circumstances, and that, and this is just my opinion, it's all about finances. Right. So he had people saying to him, as the governor of the Cal of California, well, we have a need for money for other areas, and we can we can put these people in other places and they're going to be okay. 
I'm this is just what I'm what, what we've been reading, right? I've not done any special investigative journalism on this. So right. well, you don't have any political legions here no, anyways. No. And so that seems to me from what my readings that that's kind of like what was thought because it looks like it started really in the 60s. And so then when as president when he said, "Okay, we're not, you know, do any more funding the states on their own," then the states were really like, "Oh, you know, we're, we're going to have, we have issues. Right. And, and, and so you've got the money people who are saying, we don't have the amount of money. And especially, again, since laws have changed and um, the society at that time was really about putting, uh, getting uh, people out of institutions because, there, again, that was that negative stereotype. And in some instances, it's probably very valid, but there was that stereotype that the hospitals really had to fight, I think. And it was it was like it, it was a snowball that was just you know rolling downhill and was just getting bigger and bigger. Right, and, bigger. Yeah. and so, in the end, all of these circumstances really led you know Camarillo to close, despite a lot of of people who, on the outside in the community who were who were like you know what this isn't a good idea, and we don't have any way of taking care of you know our loved one or going to see them you know if they were transferred up north or transferred you know down south and the, and the the parents say you know of a of a disabled person were elderly you know they couldn't go see their child as often as they were you know able to so it really tore on the heartstrings of of so many people and you know it was kind of like it, you know it happened and and I think that to this day you know there's the back and forth about whether or not, you know, it really should have, have closed or not. And I think that's good. I think it's a good discourse to have. It is. It's, uh, anytime you, you always have to look at both sides of the coin. Opinion, I mean, whatever your opinion is, okay, I, I think this guy's guilty, but let's, can I at least hear the other side? I mean, that's, that's, that's mm -hmm. what being balanced is all about, at least trying mm -hmm. to be fair. Right, right. Um, what was the, uh, what, the story you're telling me about, about Bobby Kennedy? Oh, um, well, What's interesting, what I you know was talking about earlier was this was before we became we the port the podcast we were just shooting the bull right right so what's interesting is that as the archivists we we focus on collections that have to do with you know local history right okay and what's interesting to me is that so many of our collections actually relate to each other and there's. It, it, that's kind of the cool thing about my job is that you never know what you're going to find. I wish I could tell my mom that now because that it, you know it really is about you know digging around in the dirt sometimes like literally with the dust and all of the stuff that comes in a box that I won't mention. Um, it it you know so so I mentioned about um, about the Jane uh, Tomac collection, and so that's a collection that I'm processing now. What I discovered in that collection, which is just really awesome, is that uh, Jane was a local politician who made some amazing contacts with people whom we now, you know, consider famous. And she must have just been an awesome lady because they all just loved her. Um, and one of the things that I discovered in this collection was how close that she was with the Kennedy family. We have letters to her from uh, John Kennedy, signed Jack Kennedy. 
we have correspondence to her from Robert Kennedy, from Edward Kennedy. It's really pretty. It's really it's really awesome and and very touching. Um, when before Robert was killed, he went to uh, he went to stop by uh, Jane's uh, party, uh, congratulatory uh, party, and that was the day before he was he was assassinated. And we have a couple of photos of that, and it's really you know looking back now. It's like, boy, I wish that I had been there so I could have said, don't go to the hotel. Don't go to the yeah, hotel. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, yeah. And then, um, on, uh, you know, topping on that is I have another collection uh, of a gentleman named Hank Lacayo, who was another uh, very fine person. Um, Hank was, uh, Hank actually, uh, before he passed, he created the uh, Hank Lacayo Institute at, at Channel Islands, which... It was created to help students uh, basically uh, uh, graduate and, and get jobs, um, internship programs, that sort of thing. And, um, it, you know, it's a, it's a really wonderful resource for our students. Well, Hank was very involved in, in, um, in, in the labor movement. And one of his uh, friends, apparently, was uh, Paul Charade. And... I didn't didn't know that. Well, I didn't. Yeah, I I'd recognized the I recognized the name Paul Charade, but I I had to do a little bit more info, uh, investigation on it. It turns out that Paul Charade was very good friends with Robert Kennedy, and in fact was one of the 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 guys who was shot when Robert Kennedy was shot. And so when I googled Paul Charade, it turns out that the reason why his name sounded so familiar was that. He had been this strong proponent of the fact that Sirhan Sirhan wasn't the only gunman uh, at the hotel uh, that evening. So it is amazing that I have three collections that I got at very different time periods, very different individuals, and yet there's a very interesting theme that runs through that. And we have some, uh, in the Jane Tomat collection, we have some awesome uh, newspaper articles, you know, documenting um, the, the Kennedys' uh, uh, visits, to, you know, to California. And, you know, it's an era that I certainly don't really remember because I really wasn't born or barely born then. And a lot of people, you know, our students certainly don't don't remember, but it is such a wonderful picture of of history, and uh, it's it's a treasure. You know, it's it's a treasure. I mean, we have all this great campaign material. Um, it you know, it's a history. But people don't really take on paper materials anymore you know they they dump them they've you know everything is electronic and the really cool thing about our archives is that we really do focus on documentation and so when you know we have students come in to use the collections or you know to to work on my internship program they can actually see what a real letter looks like yeah because that's kind of an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah. We don't think about that, but it like doesn't exist anymore. Like, who writes letters? Oh yeah, and that, then that's dynamite information you just gave me. But what I want to know is, say the letters, the actual handwritten letters that you mm -hmm. have in your archive, mm -hmm. 
How are they preserved? Well, it's really not too difficult. Um, are they in a Ziploc bag? No. Or? Um, okay, that's what we, I'm getting at because we, I went to the Ventura County Museum. Yeah. And across from on Main Street. Wonderful place. Yes, wonderful. It is a wonderful place. And the uh, archivists and librarians upstairs, yeah. they do a, a wonderful job. Yeah. But it's, my beef with them is, it's, it's not them, it's the, it's the system. I asked for adult, some of Adolfo Camarillo's. I, all I asked for was, I don't want to see what his handwriting looked like. Because so I just figured, hey, he was a wealthy man, he was a well-educated man, mm-hmm. by all accounts a fine man. I bet he had that beautiful handwriting that mm-hmm. everybody had in them days. And they came across a couple letters that he'd written. One was to his father when he was in junior high, which would have been about oh, 1875. Wow. How cool is that? It was way cool. Yeah. But the fact that these letters and deeds are kept in Ziploc bags, I mean, they ought to be digitalized, and the, and the, ba- and the letters ought to be in some safe somewhere. So well, I'm just wondering what you guys are doing. I'm sure, like you said, no, this, but I'm sure what you guys are doing is way better than what they're doing at the museum. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. Now, um, I tend to go, and you know, here's the problem. Um... It's always a money thing. It's a money thing, and oh, it's a and and it's a personnel thing. Not having when you're an archivist, a lot of times it's just you, mm-hmm. really. If I didn't have my student assistants um, and my internship students from the history capstone, I would not get nearly enough things done. Um, one of the wonderful things that the Lagomarsinos did for Channel Islands, the library and the archives, was that they gave us a million dollar endowment. So with that endowment, I'm able to buy supplies that I need. These supplies are very expensive. The cheapest way to preserve anything <coughs> is really acid-free paper and acid-free, acid-free uh, file folders. Those will handle most any sort of document, even a photograph, although there are special encasements for photographs. But you kind of pretty much have to do, you know, what you have, what you have to, you know, work with. So if you're a lack of staff or you have a lack of money, you got to, you know, really just do the best that, that you can. Um, I find the easiest thing for me is the file folders and the astrophy paper. So we have um, our, our, the letters, you know, that we find, the documents that we find, we put them in, in astrophy paper or astrophy file folder. That, and that works. Or, I mean, it's, it's as good a way as we can. Now, there's cold storage, which is also a really nice thing. But that count that you know costs money, so you try to keep it you know the temperature at at an, uh, you know with the humidity a, a little bit high just for the moisture, especially mm-hmm. if you have photographs. Where right, it makes sense. But you know, again, you do the best that you can. That's all you can do. Well, being a historian and author. Before we uh, wrap it up here, I'm going to throw you a uh, quick curveball. Only not, it's a fun curveball, and I'm sure you'll hit it out of the park. I have a question I like to ask my friends, and sometimes my guests, depending on what uh, career that they have, whether historians or filmmakers or, uh, you know, teachers or whatnot. My question to you is, if you could write a letter, I mean a letter, I mean with an envelope, stamp, handwritten, and you could go back in time and just correspond 
by letter with anybody in history, who would it be? <coughs> um, it would be to President Kennedy. And it would say, don't go to Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> Period. Perfect. Um... I'm not sure who I, I I'd write. I, I think I'd be writing to Bonnie and Clyde, or Why? John Dillinger. What would you say? I'm just don't I'm, do it. <laughs> nah, well, no, I mean they've already done it. Step I mean, away from the gun. These are they've already done it. They've they're already done what they've done. They're already wanted. But I would like to know, ask questions like, uh, why and what's it like living in a 32 Ford for a year and a half on the run, uh, exchanging. Uh, uh, Writing letters and put them in a coke box, a coke bottle, and giving it to your cousin who gives it to another cousin, who gives it to your dad. What was the weather like? I mean, driving around a Ford in them days it wasn't like in the in severe weather in the, in the Midwest in Texas. You know, them cars leaked. I mean, it was not a pleasant experience, even for a couple of youngsters like that. They're only like 23, 22 years old. But that's probably who I'd correspond with. That'd start off there. Maybe Dillinger. I mean, he broke out of jail with the with a toy gun. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, they, you know, you have to think, okay, so now would you have done, you could ask them. So knowing all this now, would you have done what, you know, do, do you accept the consequences? That's always a question is that, you know, right. What, what, would you have still done it? Yeah. Or get in the mind. I mean, it, it takes a special person to buy a, a BAR and saw it off. So you can literally get, don't have to get out of your car, your 34, yeah. and shoot it. I mean, that takes a special mindset. Yeah. Someone like that is extremely competitive. Yeah. And I just like to talk to them. There's, there's, there's something about the seedy, the edgy, that makes me interested in, in corresponding with them like that. But that's a really cool thing about, you know, history. Um, that there's an aspect for everyone. And, you know, the thing about history, too, and is that and I always compare history to science and people are like why do you do that what? and why I do it is because we only know what we know when we know it right so we're continually finding science evolves evolves uh, you're right uh, you know it, it's it's uh, from one day to the next there's a new discovery um, the history the same way Right. And and so, you know, uh, one of the things, you know, that uh, and again, going back to the hospital, um, when people, you know, students, especially when you know, we'll talk about the hospital and, and the various, you know, treatments that that, you know, we discussed and and I'll say to them, well, you know, here's the thing. And this is again, I'm just my perspective. But, you know, we look back today at the 70s and and how that, you know, they treated cancer and we're open mouth like what? You right. know, they did, yeah. they what? And what I said, hell? right. And and 30 years from now, they're going to go back and they're going to look at the way that... We're doing we're, it now. We're, and they're like, they did what? You know, that was inhumane. That, you know, what was the matter with those people? That was vicious. And and so you have to kind of put things in perspective really with anything. Yes. History is about people and people generally evolve and generally are you know really try to do i feel uh in most cases you know the whatever that right thing is you know there's a you know a few people that don't but most of the time people just by nature are always looking for um i feel like a better way 
um, to advance, you know, humanity. And I think that that we continually prove that, you know, that's it's always there. It's a and perspective. The, right. And the fact that we have discourse and disagreement is a way for is actually proof of that. When I was going back to the hospital and, and we would look at the history and we could see you know, okay, this program isn't working. We're going to try this and, and we're going to, you know, this doesn't seem to be satisfying anybody. You know, let's, let's try, you know, something else. That's the whole point about history. That's really what history is, is about consistently and constantly moving along. Yeah. And again, sometimes it's a step back, you know, but it's, it's a learning process. And we always, just by humans and by our nature, we really just try to learn by our mistakes and that's pretty much, you know, for survival, but also for really the betterment of, of human beings. And I think that, that that's why I really feel that, you know, history is really a science in and of itself because it's always about what we've discovered, you know, the next day. Yeah. It, it's not the past. It's really what it's about coming up tomorrow. It's the future. Really, that's our history. It's our right. future. Well, that's fantastic. Well, at any rate, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up now. But I want to let you know that it's been fantastic, wonderful, having you on the show. I'm glad you came on. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners the best way they can buy your book? Well, since you ask, um, are you, you can doing get... any signings? In we the, in are. The oh my gosh, yes. So now's the time to plug yourself. All right, all right, all right. So I'm so excited. Well, um, you should if, be. And if anybody's out there that has come to you know our other book signings. I want to say to you, thank you so much for coming because I know you had something else that you probably could have been doing. And we um, really appreciate the fact that you came and we really enjoy talking to you. I think that's what gives us the biggest thrill is to talk to you and find out your perspective on things. We hope that you like the book. One of the, the things that we really tried to do was make sure that we got everything as correct as possible. Because um, I didn't want somebody coming back to me and going, well, you got this wrong. And then I would, you know, never sleep at night again. So we hope that, you know, you really enjoyed the book. And, and I love trivia. So um, I really tried to put, you know, bits and pieces of, of interesting information in the book. So, you you know, you weren't bored. Um, we, it was I love a trivia too. Right. I mean, and, and you know what? It was a project that we both put our uh, love in. Let me tell you, it was a, it was really a, a work of love and appreciation for the um, the staff and for the patients of Camarillo and for the communities that you know were involved in Camarillo. We um, I have a, a book signing that's coming, two book signings that are that are going to be coming up in September. One is on um, the fourteenth, Saturday the fourteenth from noon to four, and that's actually going to be at Cal State Channel Islands at the bookstore, at the Cove Bookstore. So I'm really excited, and I think that's kind of cool that, um, you know, that, that we're having the book signing um, at the, you know, the place where, you know, we're writing about, and, and the Cove has just been really awesome, and, and we're going to do a book signing there. And then the following Saturday, it's going to be at the Barnes & Noble in Ventura. And so um, you can always contact me via uh, email. My email address at work is um, evelyn.taylor at csuci.edu. And if you don't remember that, you can always go to the library website and look me up that way. I'm always happy to do an interview or oral history with you if, if uh, you're willing so that we have this information, that we can preserve it 
for our students and for our community members. I would love to hear from you. And um, any other, you know, thoughts or comments, you know, please, you know, get a hold of me. And, and I just hope that, um, you know, you guys can, can come out uh, and take a look at the book. And I hope that, that you really enjoy it because uh, we really, we really wanted to, um, to celebrate uh, Camarillo State Hospital and the people who were involved. And uh, we hope that we did that. So thank you.